Hallelujah. Justin, you had some, uh, a couple things. We're going to be quick for sake of time, but you had somebody with a knee, right, right knee. Anybody here with a right knee that needs to be touched and healed? All right. So there's about three of you. Awesome. Anybody with a left knee that needs to be healed? Okay. Great. And what else? A shoulder? Left, left shoulder? Anybody here with a left shoulder that could be touched? Two, three, four. Wow. All right. If that is you, just raise your hand. And we're going to be quick. I want you in the church to turn around, find somebody that's within a, ch a row or two of you, and just lay hands on them, and we're just going to declare his health and healing right now. Amen? Quickly, just find somebody. And let's just, just pray. Just say, Lord, heal them. Your love was, was shown this morning, so just heal them. Reach out and touch somebody. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your healing. I just pray right now for those that raise their hands, for, for knee, right knee, left knee, that you would just touch them, Lord, for shoulder, that you would just heal them now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. I want to take some time this morning. I got to, my OCD is, is, is messing with me. Years ago, when Pastor Nelson was teaching me how to take care of the church, I would set up the chairs or check the church, uh, the chairs every Sunday morning. And I was good enough. Have you ever met somebody good enough? And the building was the smaller building. It was the one on Salton. And it had about a 10 to 12 foot ceiling. So it was not as high as this. But I'd set the chairs up. And then Pastor Nelson would come up. And God bless his heart. That's when you say that when you just don't know what else to say. He'd stand there. I had set the chairs up, and I had, and he'd say, David, is everything good? Yeah, I'd say, yeah. He'd go there, and he'd go like this. Move that over just a bit. It's like the nerve of Pastor Nelson. I've just set these up. But there's something about taking pride in God's house. Come on. We take pride in God's house. When I come in here, now, you know what happens? I look down this row. It should be good. When they set up, now it's me who stands there, and I go like this. Just a bit over, guys. And they probably say, God bless his heart. <laughs> but in God's, I, I believe God's house should be kept better than your house. I believe that. I believe God's house should be the best-looking, best, well-maintained, taken-care-of home and presence and place that we have. He takes pride in it. Do you know in the Old Testament, I'm not even in my notes yet, but do you know in the Old Testament when they started to look at building and, taking and, and building the tabernacle, Moses said, I want you to bring your stuff. And people brought, and they, they brought so much that he actually told them, stop, you've brought enough. 
We haven't hit that yet in the Western world, but can you imagine what it would be like if you came Sunday morning and said, you know what? You've brought enough. We've got all the needs taken care of. We've got everybody paid. This is all that. And you know what? Just take that and now just, just lavish it in your family. Moses actually told them at one point, you've brought enough for this project. It's taken care of. Wow. That's a God that's, that, that loves us. I want to spend a bit of time this morning. I think I'm going to break this sermon up into two. But I want to take some time. I want to talk about love. This morning we sang about love. And this morning I believe God's going to pour out his love on each one of you in a greater way than you've ever felt it and experienced it before. I've preached on love. Last summer or the summer before, I had this great graphic. It was psychedelic. It was from the 60s. And it said love, and it had, you know, how they used to use the, the words that looked like balloons, just all, and it said love. And, and so I've preached it, I've studied it, but as I was meditating on it this last few weeks, I got a, I got a new picture of love. And what I want to do is, is I want us to think about love one another and I'll get to that next week. But in order to set the table, in order for us to understand what love one another means, we actually have to understand what the word love means. So I want to take this morning, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to unpack the word love, and I'm hoping, praying, and believing that it's going to be a revelatory thought in your mind when you see God's love because he actually told them, I want you to love the way I've loved. And in today's world, we've taken the word love and it's become an industry, a song industry, and, and country music. I mean, they talk about it, not just country music, pop music. all the, And they've made love this word, and we've misused the word love. And it has become a commodity. And we've taken the word love, and we've used it to say, I'll love you if. If you come back to me, I'll love you. If you do this for me, I'll love you. If you are so, and, and, and we've taken the word love and we've played with the word love and we've made it a commodity that can be traded, manipulated, changed, transferred, and, and, and we've taken the word and instead of seeing how God loves, we've now taken the word and we've defined it ourselves. That's not how God looks at the word love. And if you study it, in the New Testament, the word love, there's about three or four words in the New Testament time, and most of them are under two words, agape, and then it has some three or four words that are connected with agape, and filio. Then there's also a word called eros, which refers to romantic love, or a wife and a husband love. And there's a word um, 
storge, which deals with family love. Those two words aren't used much in the Bible, but the word agape, agapeo, and a few of its relatives are used a lot. And the word filio, and filio is actually fairly close or it's related to agape. It's not as strong as the word agape. As I was studying this, what I found interesting is the word agape was not actually used very much in the Greek language before the Bible was written. In other words, the Holy Spirit took that word and defined it and put it into context. The Greek literature did not use the word agape. If you study it, you'll find out that the Greek literature of that day did not use that word very often. And, what, and so in the Bible, when they're talking about love, it's a word that was new. It was a word that was not de defining it. And the best way they could define it was through God. The best way they, 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 they could define it was just God said, the way I love Pastor Sean read that this morning. I just want to read that passage again from John as Jesus was praying for the disciples. And I flipped the pages here. John 18, I believe that was Pastor Sean, or 17? 17. I have revealed to them who you are. This is Jesus. And I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. This is John 17, verse 26 out of the Passion Translation. For your love will now live in them even as I live in them. I want to give you one other verse. John 13, verse 35. It says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you, just a touch, unlock, open eyes, open ears, that we would be receptive to your wooing this morning. And Lord, as I share, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just quicken myself, my thoughts, my words, that I would convey what you have placed inside of me with passion with excellence, concise and clear. And Lord, I ask for a move of you in our hearts. Amen. Love is actually a kingdom concept. Last week we saw Dr. Brown Sunday evening and he was sharing about kingdom versus kingdom church and we've taken church and church is actually you and me 
but we have made church this building. And quite often, I, I've grown up in church. I've grown up Sunday after Sunday. I grew up underneath the pews. I, I grew up, I told you once, I, I threw up in church. Uh, I mean, I, grew, I spent time in there. We'd fall asleep. My parents, God bless their hearts, they would take us to the second row every Sunday, and they were never early. So the service would be started, and here would be the Stunenberg clan walking down into the second row. And my mom and dad would be strategically placed so my dad could hit or pull ears or knock your And he'd get three or four, and my mom would have three or four. And if we sat close to my dad and we were really good, we'd try to sneak our hands into his pocket because he had Dutch candy that we could eat. And so I'd grown up in church. But what's happened is we've come up with this idea of see you next Sunday. I come here, I spend, we're not very good at this because we almost spend two hours. Some places are trying to spend an hour. Uh, how can you spend one hour? I, I sometimes, I, I mean, Pastor Sean wouldn't even be able to do announcements. So we spend an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes once a week, and we call that church. And then we leave, and by the time we leave out this parking lot and we get down 4th Avenue, we're already going different directions. The kingdom isn't based on a Sunday meeting. The kingdom is, you get here, we gather together to worship, and then when we leave, we take what we have here with us and we take it, and we actually are the salt of the earth, and we actually change the areas that we touch. Where in our vehicle parks, we don't leave the Holy Spirit, we don't leave the presence of God here. He actually is with us inside of me, and he goes where I go. So when you get David, you get David plus. And we have grown up with this mentality that it's Sunday and the rest of the week I somehow have to survive, but if I can only make it to Sunday, and I'm here to tell you, no, that's wrong. You get Sunday, we have a time of celebration, a time of worship, a time of gathering, but there should be more stuff happening in the week because of the kingdom of God in us. So this morning when I talk about love, I'm not just talking about what happens here. I want to talk about what should affect you on the job site, what should affect you driving, what should affect you when you're checking out at the counter, what should affect you when you sit behind your desk, what should affect you when you put on your high visibility vest, what should, what should be there when you're doing everything that you do all of a sudden, you have this component because you're part of the kingdom of God. You are an ambassador of the king. So when Jesus came, he was teaching them how the kingdom operates. And one of the, one of the greatest passages is the passage in Matthew chapter 5 when he talks about, you've heard this, but I say that. And what he's telling them is this, this, there's a new way of doing life, and that's called kingdom living. And part of that was how the word love is connected in the kingdom. 
One of the best passages, one of the most well-known passages we have in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It says, for God so loved. So this morning, I want to take a few moments and I want to just give you some thoughts respect, with respect to the word love. And next week, I want to take some time on Father's Day. I want to take some time and I want us to see what it means to love one another. But this week, what I want you to do is I want you to think about what the word love means. The word love means goodwill. <laughs> I'm just going to take these words and I'm just going to say them. And then let's think about what that word means in today's culture. Goodwill. Have you ever been driving and somebody cuts you off and you wish goodwill on them? Not usually. Usually I'm waving my fist or my wife is praying saying, Don't do it, David. What's the matter with you? Do you actually have to put your brights on? Don't you think they... I'm not wishing good... Goodwill means I want something good to happen to you. Adrian. I'm not picking on you. You're a car driver. But I want you to be better off this afternoon than you were this morning. That's goodwill. Are you in it to see somebody getting better? Or are you in it to hoard it and to hold it? And Jesus was telling him, he says, he was defining this word, and he says the word agape, the word love, is goodwill. And he exemplified it. Goodwill. Here's another one for you. Benevolence. That's a big, long word. I didn't even look it up. But when you have something in benevolence, it's for the benefit of someone else. When was the last time you went through Starbucks or Timmy's, because i got to get Pastor Nelson convicted here as well, <laughs> and paid for the person behind you? I go through Tim, uh, Starbucks, and occasionally the person in front of me pays for me. And I've had it where there's been nobody behind me immediately. And it's like, when? I just got a $465 latte for free. Benevolence. Karen just shared about the benevolence of her dad. And the gift for the benefit of Shane and Karen. And what your dad actually was doing, Karen, he's giving you a picture of your heavenly father. 
Because quite often, the way we picture our Heavenly Father is quite often, naturally, the way we have seen our Father. That's why men, we need to be men of God that show our children a reflection of the King of Kings and our Father. Because our children, when they think of God and when they think of what Heavenly Father looks like, the first thing that they have a reference to is how does dad operate. And Satan has been working to destroy the family unit, so there are children that are running around that have no concept of what a good father is. So when I say the word good father, what comes to your mind? Here's another illustration. I have $20. No, no, I'm not giving it away yet. But I love that. Do you have another 20, hun? All right, Josh, here you go. Don't come up for this one. But the first person after the service that comes to me and says, I'd like your $20, you'll get it. Okay? Here's $20. The first person that comes to me after the service. And you don't even have to say it's a good sermon. I'll give you the $20 even if you don't agree with me. Now, what I just did, some of you are so cynical, you go, he won't do that. Some of you thought, nah, he's just joking. Why do you think? You think that because your reception is based on what you've experienced in your past. I was going to ask Pastor Nelson if he had 100, but I was afraid he might, and he, so, so I didn't want to ask him. But sometimes our experience dictates how we receive what we have today. So when I say good father, quite often it's what I've experienced is how I relate it now. When I say God loves you, some of us have a hard time understanding what that word love is because we've never experienced the love of the Father. His love is always for your benefit. Every single time. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean there's not going to be tears involved. But every single time when he loves you, it's so that you will be better off going forward. That's the love God has. But some of us, based on our childhood or experiences or the things that we've gone through, when we say that, we have a hard time accepting it because, well, you know what? This happened to me. That and what we have to do is we have to close that off and open our, our eyes up and our understanding to see what God the Father wants for us. Goodwill, love, benevolence, love feasts. You know what a love feast was in the, Old in the New Testament times? It was a dinner. And quite often, after that dinner, they would have communion together, or before the dinner, they'd have communion together. But it was called a love feast. 
dinner together. Huh. That's a lost art in today's world. Here's another one. To welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. The sense or part of the aspect of the word love means to have a strong affection and love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character. For us to best understand it, we need to look at God. Here's another thought. It's characterized, especially characterized, listen to this, by a willing forfeiting of rights or forfeiture, forfeiture? Forfeiture. (laughs) You'd almost think the Holy Spirit's got me. It's, It's forfeiting my rights. If you can't say the big word, say it another way. Especially characterized by a willing forfeiture, forfeiture, (laughs) forfeiting of rights and privileges on behalf of another person. There we go. In other words, I am prepared to let go of my rights for you. I have rights. But I'm willing to let them go in order for you. We live in a world full of rights. And everybody's demanding their rights. Everybody's demanding, I want to be heard. I don't want to be bullied. I want to be accepted. I want to be recognized. I don't want to feel like this or that. And we have this world full of rights, and we have taken that ourselves as well, and we brought them in the church. He didn't shake my hand. I have a right to this. Are we prepared to lay down our rights so somebody else can get a benefit? I'm going to let that sink in because that one hit me because I have rights. I'm a Canadian citizen. I have rights. They're yelling louder than me, so everybody's listening to them, so I've got to yell just a little bit louder. I've got to jump a little bit stronger. I've got to have a bigger placard. I've got to have a stronger voice so that my rights get heard. And God is saying, are you willing and prepared to just let go of your rights to benefit someone else? And it doesn't mean that they're going in the same direction as you. Because we've based rights on equality. We've based rights on acceptance and on direction. And because we're all in this together and we're all going in that direction, you know what? I'll step back and you take the lead. You do this. But what about somebody who opposes you? It says that we were enemies of God and he loved us. We were enemies of who he was and he loved us. Now, I believe in wisdom. 
but I tell you, when I study the word love, I don't get away with a little whole lot of negotiation. I need to be willing to let go of my rights what I think I deserve to see the benefit for someone else. And I'll be honest with you, you do that and you'll get stepped all over. <laughs> People will take advantage of that. Are you prepared to accept that? You know, there's, sometimes there's wisdom. I just don't always go there. But if I get involved in a situation, am I prepared to lay down my rights for someone else? I'll throw another one at you here. We'll get to it next week. But because it's so heavy right now, I'll throw another heavy on you. You're commanded to love. You're not asked to love. God doesn't say, eh, try it out. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this command I give you. I, I think we've got love all mixed up. We've defined love to suit ourselves. And I've justified it myself. I've justified my actions. I've justified my responses. I've justified this because... It says in John 13, he says, by this way you'll know you're... There. They'll know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. And he wasn't just talking about how the disciples loved each other. He was talking about how they lived. Agape. It's a self-giving Love that is not merited. This is the love that God's talking about. How he operates. You and I did nothing to merit his love. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on us here. But if we want to see the world change, they've got to see something different than the way they behave. And we sometimes behave the same way they do, and we just use Scripture to back up what we do. And it's amazing how you can find Scripture to almost justify every single thing we do. But am I prepared to give somebody something that does, they do not merit? God was stirring me up. Yes, I believe in wisdom. 
I believe in understanding. But, but there's also an aspect of, do I love this person? Is my love based on what they do? One of the aspects of love is that it demands an action, but it doesn't demand an action on the recipient. It demands an action on the doer. In other words, my love demands an action of David. My love does not demand an action from Pastor Nelson. If I do something out of love for Pastor Nelson, it does not put any demand on Pastor Nelson. It puts a demand on me. So when I act in love and I walk in love, I'm not doing it in order to get a response. I'm doing it out of an action myself because this is what God requires of me. Because this is what God did for me. Are you receiving this this morning? I have a little counter up here that, that is voice activated, and every time it hears an amen, it goes click, click, and I, I'm way down on my amens this morning. So I'm just... <laughs> it's unmerited. It's not possessive. Right now, all I'm doing is I'm just unpacking the definition of love. And I want us to think about it this week. My love does not possess. Now, there's an aspect in one of the definitions of love, eros, with respect to marriage, that there's a possessiveness with respect to husband and wife, but not with respect to brotherly love, relationships of man, uh, or general relationships. So my love is not based on possessiveness. It's not based on worthiness. In other words, I cannot stand here and share the scriptures with you and then say, now if you do this, I will love you. Because now what I've done is I've based love on a worthiness or something that you've done. And God's love is, is not based on something I've done or something I performed. I was not worthy. I performed no action to cause him to love me. What I'm hoping I'm doing is giving you a picture of an understanding. Because we've made love, I've grown, we've made love almost an interactive commodity, an interactive thing. Well, I don't love you anymore because you did or didn't. And God says, no, I love you. When you were far from me, I loved you. When you did nothing to deserve it, I loved you. When you were unworthy, I loved you. When you were not beautiful, I loved you. When you could do nothing, I loved you. That's the love of the Father for you and me. 
We use the term performance. It's not based on performance. There's nothing you can do to get more love out of God. You just need to sit there, accept it, and say, okay. Love is known from the action that it prompts. It comes from, not in response to. It's not a reaction, it's an action. It is the enterprise, it's the initial, it's what starts. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. It's a decided action. Next week, we're going to look at love one another. Next week's Father's Day, and I've got some fun things in store. So you can all smile and you can all laugh next Sunday. But for the next 168 hours or 167 and some change, you can meditate on love. This guy, he has no concept, he just loves. He just believes what he's experienced. Yes? For a moment. As I was sitting in my chair this morning, my Heavenly Father began to talk to me. And he said, I want you to trust me out of your innocence not your guilt. And that just reminded me when this child come up here, that child's innocence was not thinking anything wrong. And Jesus had a child on his knee, and he says, unless you become like this child, he didn't say to be on the bottle all your life. What he was saying is, the innocency of this child comes to me just the way he is. And I want you to trust me in your innocency, not your knowledge. Amen. As the music's playing, I want his love to overwhelm you. So why don't we stand, change our posture just a little bit. 
And body language is amazing. It's actually a very interesting study. And one of the aspects of body language, just, just physiologically and psychologically, is body language conveys something inside. So what I'd like to do is I'd like you to open yourself up. And one of the best ways you can do it is just to open your hands up in a, in a posture. And this is body language, but this is also prophetic of just saying, Lord, I'm open to receive from you. And let's just let his love, as the music's playing, I'm just going to speak some words over you right now. I love you. When you were a child, I loved you. You did nothing, and I loved you. So why do you think that has changed? It's falling down. It's falling down like rain. It's falling down. It's falling down. It's falling down. It's falling down like rain. It's falling down. It's falling down. It's falling down like rain. Just rest in my love. Just rest in my love. Just rest in my love. Mm. Overwhelm us, Lord. Overwhelm us with your love. Overwhelm us with the simplicity of your love. Lord, that all we do is we just stand and you love us. Lord, we don't have to say, we don't have to do, we don't have to perform, we don't have to act, we don't have to, you, you just love us. And your love causes me to change. Your love causes me to want to be more like you. Your love is the initial enterprise in my life. Your love is the initial thing that causes me to grow and to turn and to say, I want to be more like you. Your love is what is the seed that is planted inside of me that causes it to grow. Your love is what is inside, Lord. And I speak to those 
that might think otherwise or have conditions or presumptions or objections. Taste and see that I'm good. Taste and see that I'm good. Hallelujah. Man, let's just have the music playing for about another 30 seconds and we're just going to spend time receiving from him. you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May you be blessed in everything that you do this week. May his blessings be behind you, beside you, and in front of you. May you walk in a greater awareness of his goodness, his love, his blessing, him this week. Hallelujah. God bless you.